you had to buy 25, I think was the minimum. And I thought, well, sure. that's like, it's like a reasonable number of chickens to start with. So we got those and I got fairly comfortable. They came and they were just the rattiest, nastiest looking birds ever because they've been cooped up in cages and crapping on each other forever. We got them out, let them free range. A couple of weeks, they were just, they looked beautiful. They looked great. So I thought, all right, now we'll try meat This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRosier. On the Farm Hop Life Podcast, we learn what it takes to grow your own food from everyday people. Could be a college student, grows tomatoes and salad greens on their apartment patio, a former VP of marketing for Del Taco now raising cattle in Montana, or someone who hasn't had a homestead in over 10 years. This show is aimed at teaching you what it takes to make homesteading work for you, that we all make mistakes, we all have bad days, but we can reach out and help one another thrive and giving you the confidence needed to go feed yourself. Okay, so sorry, you were talking about community? Yeah, the, the, we have a, a very strong local homesteaders community, and getting involved with that was crucial to, to us being successful at what we do. Um, you know, just just in terms of, of processing animals and, and sharing tips and tricks and seeds and all sorts of things. We have a very, very good local group. It's so been wonderful. So let's go into like you getting started. So um, I was I was checking on your website really briefly. Um, you guys have been doing bison for forty years. Yeah, my family's been raising animals basically since the late eighties. We moved to Texas from Detroit, and you know, first thing you do when you move to Texas is you buy a ranch. My father bought a, a place in in Bellison, Texas, and proceeded to start acquiring animals. And there's some really funny stories along that way um his first trip to the animal auction he came home with two bulls and a cow um you just end up with a really tired cow and that's about it (laughs) they told me yeah we had to fence the place he went out and bought 20 rolls of three foot chain link and fenced 40 acres with three foot chain link i'm not kidding yeah so we, we've yeah we've we've made every mistake possible. Then we invented mistakes to make, just to make sure we have screwed up things enough. Um, and so I really, I was you know, teenager then, and I wasn't very interested in doing the whole ranching farming thing at all. And decided I wanted to be a chef. Went to school, moved to Europe, and did that. And then at some point, matter right before COVID hit, we had a chance to buy a, a nice piece of property that had a barn, had some pasture. And for us, it was actually just cheaper than, than getting a commercial warehouse. And so we thought, perfect, this will be great. We don't have to drive to work. We have a place we can keep all our stuff, keep our trucks. And then COVID hit, and all of a sudden, I was like, I want chickens. And we kind of went nuts from there. For, for personal production. For personal production. I'm... I, I give away animals. We donate food banks. I don't want to sell production because that's not my business. Um, and there are people who want to do that. I want to support them as much as possible. But I like growing food. Um, getting better at it, too. I turned out some, some pretty darn tasty chicken and pork. Nice. Excellent. Indeed. So yeah. are you in Texas then? And you just like are currently in Alaska or... Or... Yeah, we li- we live in in Weatherford, Texas, about an hour west of Fort Worth. 
We're currently up in Alaska for the Alaska State Fair. We've been living mm-hmm. here now. This is our 14th year. And we usually come up a couple of weeks early. We go fishing, we camp, and, and just kind of enjoy the stay. But we make cold weather gear, and selling cold weather gear in August in Texas is not easy. So um, it works much better up here. That's pretty funny. And that sounds great. That sounds like a great little like lifestyle hack. Like, oh, man, I gotta go to gotta go to Alaska and sell some gear. I guess I'll go fishing while I'm out there and do some camping. And it's it's become yeah. We when COVID hit, we used to do shows almost every weekend all over the country. I mean, we we had forty five events, three of which were a month long every year so we were in our truck driving 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 unload set up talk 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 sell move you know and then do the next thing um when COVID hit we got really lucky and our web sales just absolutely went skyrocketing so we didn't have to do shows anymore and it was good because all the shows were gone we've kept this one and one other in dallas and then the the national bison convention because we like them i come up we bought a building up here we have a little cabin on the fairgrounds um we keep all our camping gear there. We bring up friends and whoever wants to come. Every year there's a new group. This year we brought up our granddaughter, my father, and our soap maker and candle maker, who is also my chicken mentor. Rough talking about community. This this guy was just instrumental in getting us started. And they came up with us and we spent a week just fishing every river we could between here and Homer. That's awesome. <clears throat> I've been looking at your uh, your website. You guys have very, very nice stuff. Well, thank you very much. We, we're trying. We, we're small. It's We make things that we want to use. We do a lot of outdoor, you know, hunting, fishing stuff ourselves. And we're not superheroes. We're not like ultra outdoorsy people. We like to be comfortable. But I camp. I'm camping here in a U-Haul truck. Because I can put a good bed in the back and carry all our gear Literally, put it in park in your in your camp. Sure, you drive that all the way we to like, Texas. No, we rented that. We fly into Anchorage, ship all our goods. Drink, you know, go to go to the freight dock, pick up all our, our product, take it up to our cabin, uh, the loo, unload our camping again here and here. I think we have mattresses for like nine, ten people now. Again, people come with us every year, and everybody is always welcome. I mean, I don't care if we fly out or not. It's a very low-key, easy, fun trip, and anyone can do whatever they want. That sounds awesome. I Because I was going to say, man, that sounds like one of the most miserable drives from Texas to Alaska. In a year. <laughs> <laughs> By the time you get there, you just come home. Well, she wants to drive next year. We probably will. We talked about it forever. We have a little camping rig van of our own that wouldn't haul enough product, and we can do it. It's just time. And, you know, trying to get time away from the farm is, is a challenge now. Used to be we had a cat that we could leave outdoors for three or four months at a time. Now I have turkeys. Oh, yep. Yep. They're running amok while we're gone, I understand. <laughs> Somebody just sent me pictures of them all over. All I'm sitting on top of my wife's car and I'm on her tractor. So. so who is taking care of the place while you're gone? Um, my grandson and my grandson and her sister, right? my wife's sister, they're, they're both splitting the ranch hidden duties. My grandson is determined to be a bull rider. And since I have cattle and 
he wants money, we pay him to take care of our animals. Um, and then my sister-in-law runs our warehouse and shipping and such, so she's there pretty much full-time. How many bones has your grandson broken yet, like so far? So far, he's been really lucky. Um, he's only, he's 16, he's 6'4", 140 pounds, and you put him on a bowl and he looks like a wet noodle all over the place. It's really going to say, for 6'4", that's not very heavy. No, his, his knees drag the ground on most of the bowls. He's actually, you know, allowed to ride. Um, we're trying to talk him out of this. It's, there's just not a lot of sillier things in the world. Other than one of our, our person in our homesteading community is a ex-world champion bull rider. And he's just a really cool dude. So sounds like it. Yeah. Chris, Chris got interested and, you know, you can't tell a 16 year old much. I know I didn't no. tell me much when I was one. That's right. Yeah. Since probably something that they just got to work out of their system. Yes. Yeah. Or, or get this close to dying. <laughs> you know, and, and I've known a lot of bull riders. It just happens. I mean, they're, they're big, they're heavy, and they're, again, large animals are, are dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They'll just run you right over and not think twice. Yeah. So, so this uh, this community that you started, so you, so you got started with chickens, and you have turkeys, and you have pigs. Um, I mean, was it just kind of like, okay, we'll get chickens, and then we'll have a garden, and then we'll get turkeys, and then we'll get pigs. So it was like a slow, or did you just kind of like, bam, 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 just get it all? It, it, there was a little bam, 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 bam. Um, again, when we when we started, we really didn't have a plan or, or didn't go into this with, you know, full intentions of, of doing it. We've always wanted to, we have family who have some, some unusual health situations and, and food allergies and things. I have mm -hmm. a granddaughter who's allergic to cinnamon. We have, you know, the banana latex nightshade allergies in the family. We have a daughter with Lyme disease. So there's, a, there's a lot of food challenges that, that have to be met and We've always preached clean meat. I mean, I've been in the bison industry now for a long time, and and that's the whole tenet of that. So why not take it a little step further and just make the rest of our lives as clean as we can do that? And and that's been sort of the motivation. We don't use pesticides. We don't use any you know unnatural chemicals. Everything we do is organic, natural. Just try and keep all of our inputs back into the land and, and try and do it that way. Sure. When we start, when we started, first thing we got were goats. We got some really pretty little Nubian milk goats, and they were just flipping adorable. And we had a couple of sets of kids, and I was too chicken shit to ever milk them though. So the milking plan kind of went out the window. Our place is not really built for goats. Goat fencing is um, got to be pretty much watertight, and. They were, they got out, my wife handles most of the plant life in the garden and they decimated a lot of her garden, which is fairly good size. And I was told either to, you know, the goats or me, and I made the choice that we got rid of the goats. And actually the, really the last day was oldest daughter came home, brand new car, goats got out, were all dancing at her car, eating the windshield wipers. And that was, that was the goats last day. Towards the end, 
<laughs> so did they get rehomed or rehomed to a freezer? No, they were rehomed. They were too okay. cute to, to process and, and things like that. But again, going back to the community, when I got in, again, we had already made the goat mistake sort of prior to the chicken group. We had gotten some laying as we, we found somebody on Facebook who was bringing back battery heads that were going into multi-season and selling, you know, layers for fairly reasonable. And you had to buy 25, I think was the minimum. And I thought, well, sure. that seems like a reasonable number of chickens to start with. So we got those and I got fairly comfortable. They came and they were just the rattiest, nastiest looking birds ever because they'd been cooped up in cages and crapping on each other forever. We got them out, let them free range. A couple of weeks, they were just, they looked beautiful. They looked great. So I thought, all right, now we'll try meat birds. So I saw another person in this, in our Parker County Homesteaders group. He was um, talking about a community chicken raising project. And reading back some of the posts, they go together and go to a hatchery, buy a thousand birds. Everyone comes home and different families raise them and then come back together on weekends and process. And I thought that was just the coolest thing I'd ever heard of. I've got to meet yeah. this guy. So I went and said, you know, when next time you're processing, when you come out and volunteer. And so I went out and started getting up birds with him and got to know Clint. And now his wife makes our soap. If you look on our, our website, we've got the homestyle soap. Mm -hmm. That's a whole story. We got them some, a bunch of bison tallow. And we've just become really good friends. He actually came up to Alaska with us this trip because you, know, you can't take, you can't go anywhere without your chicken guy. That's right. So, yeah. He's, and you and never know when you need chicken advice. You never know when you need chicken advice. We have we have friends up here that raise them. And I, I have to say that the chicken cubes here in Alaska, I mean, they're insulated and 12 inches thick. Just to keep the <laughs> I, chickens warm. I could believe that. Yeah. Yes. And, and because, you know, we're bears. Bears like chicken too. That is we don't have to deal with bears. Yeah. So different different things. But again, through the community, I found that's how we got our pigs. I found somebody who was raising uh, IPPs, Idaho pasture pigs. And I thought, you know, I can handle pasture pigs. They look reasonable. And so we now have, I think we've got four at the moment, wonderful animals. They take care of the place. They don't root. They keep the yard mode. Hmm. Um, how about that? And yeah, I, I have I, to look up an Idaho I, pasture pig. Yeah, there are Kenny Kenny Cross that University of Idaho did some, you know, selective mm -hmm. breeding on. And their noses turn up so they don't they don't do good at, at rooting and digging in the dirt. Um but they they do well eating grass. Interesting. They look like yeah, they do look like Cooney Coonies and a little bit of like maybe not quite Mangalitsa, but they look kinda similar. Yeah, you know, it's funny, and, and like our girls from a different different breeder definitely have a little more megalitz to look to them and they definitely have that squidgy body well yeah. they, they've got some fat on them but our first boys are, are pretty pretty tough and pretty solid yeah i bet they're pretty tasty though too delicious yeah one bad day <laughs> that's right so so your bison how many can i ask how many bison you have like how many I personally don't own any bison at the moment. Okay. My father does. Okay. okay. I don't have the land for We have five acres 
okay. I have just enough land for a couple of cows and, and the, the random stuff that we have. Um, Dad's got about a dozen at the moment. We've had up to 40, as you know, as low as three. We're not producers. We're not a production ranch in, in, in any shape or form. Dad just got really enamored with the animals, got very involved with the associations. He helped found the Texas Bison Association. Mm. He, she is the past president of the National Buffalo Foundation. My wife's on the board of directors there. We like the bison industry, but I don't have the dirt to grow bison. What do you like about the bison? Um, everything. First, first look, they're, I mean, they're awesome. I, I agree. They're just amazing. Yeah. Now, from just from an ecological standpoint, I, I've really gotten more concerned with the quality of our farmland in the United States. I mean, we have depleted so much of our soil and, you know, we, where we live, we have drought problems. There's erosion, all sorts of things. Bison just do so much better for the land than, than any other type of livestock animals. They don't eat grass to the ground. They, they wallow, they spread grass seeds. They're, our, our, our land is, requires these large ungulates on there to, to keep the land healthy. And that's my first passion for the animals. Then you look at them and they're just cool. They're nothing more independent or nothing that says America more than the American bison. Mm -hmm. They're tasty as heck. I mean, if you've never had a bison steak, they're the best thing you can get. Oh, yeah. And they make really nice socks. So the natives had, had a lot of, they understood what sort of the resource they were. And that's what I'd like to get back to is using more of every animal, not wasting and making sure that our inputs get put back in the soil instead of having to use chemicals and, and additives to, to replenish what we have taken from the soil. You can go put in for like a hunting tag to hunt like a bison when they do like this like selective culling around Yellowstone near me. And I don't know if I could ever do it. I don't know if I could ever bring myself to take one down because they're so cool. Like, I just, I just, I just, I just like them, just like them the way they are. <laughs> and I, and I get that. But one of the things that the, the NBA has done a really, the National Association has done a really good job with is explaining that because these animals have value, because ranchers need to raise them. Ranchers need to make a profit to make more animals. It is literally eat them to save them. Sure. And the more, the more valuable the animals are to the ranchers, the more animals we'll have. And then maybe we'll have more ranchers. And that's, that seems to be working. They've done a very good job of, um, promoting that. And it's, it's been working. We have a goal of, we are supposed to hit 1 million bison by 2025. I don't think we'll get there. But from the turn of the century, when we were, you know, somewhere between 800 and 1,000 animals, to now where we've got a little over a half million between the U.S. and Canada, we're doing pretty good. Um, sure. We need more. But, you know, you got to have the grasslands. you got to have the people who are, who are willing to take time and fencing and manage them. Sure. Yeah, I'm not opposed to anybody, like, doing doing that. I just don't know if I personally could do it. I think we're right. I, I, you know, seriously, I've never shot one in the field. And I don't know that I could either. Um, I have processed one in the field and I don't think I'll ever do that again. I was going to say, that sounds like a heck of a lot of work. 
and it is a, it is a lot of work and they are very large and talking about being up here in alaska one of our first years we had these two little 14 15 year old girls come into the booth and we sell skinning knives because i like skinning knives and so they were looking at the yard and the, and the, the skinning nut and we get to talking to them and her job is she works up near delta junction on one of the the ranches near the hunting preserve and her job is to go out with hunters and skin the bison in november in alaska this is a 14 year old girl who should be doing tiktok videos but now her day job is a bison skinner she shook my hand and just about crushed it i'm not a little guy <laughs> you know this, this little bitty two year old girl that crushed me and i was it was amazing that's funny so, it is <laughs> that's really funny so I saw, I saw, I was looking at your socks too. So you have like a couple different pairs of socks and like one of them is like, you know, real thick, uh, like hunting socks and tell you what, sitting in a, sitting in a hunting blind doesn't matter, you know, if it's the first day of the season or the last, uh, it, it can get pretty cold here. We had a very, very cold rain last year and didn't take much for my feet to freeze. So I'm thinking I might get myself some bite this year. No, I'm going to buy that from you. It's okay. I, I appreciate it. But seriously, send me an address. Try them out. Well, you, you will talk about They work. <laughs> All right. That's, that's been a lot of our lives is doing that. And I love it. I appreciate it. The, uh, I'm also curious about the manufacturing of the socks though. So like, do you guys like own uh, like a manufacturing plant or do you send the fibers to a plant and they do it for you? Or how does that work? Well, um, there's a little bit of complexity to it. When first we, we do shear the hides, that's where we har harvest the fiber. And then we have to get it scoured and it has to be Sorry, washed. Sorry, what is that? The hide, so like, can you just do it, well, it's like after it's dead or can you do it like in the spring or like well, on we, the a lot? <laughs> well, we have done, we when, when we got started originally, it was just around our place picking it off of the fence and blackberry bushes around the ranch, just they, they shed this fiber out in the spring. Mm -hmm. Now, because there are so many animals processed for meat, there's four USDA bison processing plants in the U.S. and, and we'll station a shearing crew there. We'll shear the hides and get the fiber that way instead of letting it go to waste. Off of a carcass, got it. Off, yeah. They have, when they process the animal, they'll take the hide off, then we'll shear the hide. Then that fiber's got to be washed they call it scoured and it goes through a big long washing process to get it clean bison don't have any body oil they don't have sebaceous glands so in order to lubricate the skin they roll in the dirt makes the fiber really greedy so you got to get it clean you wash it then it has to be dehaired separate the guard here the, the fine soft downy stuff from the coarse crunchy fiber and that's a fairly specialized piece of equipment called the dehairing machine they use it for cashmere or alpaca um, it's got to go through that, and then, then you get this nice, soft, fluffy cloud that goes to a spinning mill. And our spinning mill was in Massachusetts that we've worked with forever. They were the, they'd been there since like 1853. Their primary business was spinning the yard for Raleigh's baseballs. Oh, that was pretty. Huh. Yeah, oh, so you know, base, baseballs are made out of yard. Baseballs, well, they just bison. closed in baseballs and bison. They they closed about uh, in December. And they've moved some of the equipment to mill in Wisconsin. So we just finished our first batch there, like, last week. And it's on its way to uh, a knitting mill in Iowa. 
So our stocks are in it in Osage, Iowa, Fox River Mills. Um, so that's the process. No, we don't have any major equipment at home. Um, that makes sense. We That'd do be a lot of infrastructure. It is. It is. And there's people doing it. So, and part of our mission is also to try and keep textile processing here in the U.S. When we first started doing this back early 2000s, I think we started around 2003, 2004, um, we'd call mills to see if they could process fiber. And they're like, well, the mill closed and the town's for sale. So we've lost a lot of our textile and not just the equipment. Most of the equipment got shipped to China. But all of the experience and these people who have been running these mills just gone. True. So we've lost a lot of textile tradition in the U.S. And, you know, it's when you start looking at all these these very basic processes, that things, you know, being able to make your own clothing is important. I mean, we all wear clothing and there's just not a lot made in this country anymore. So I think it's important yeah. to try to keep that here. That's a good point. Yeah. I, so there's a, there's a company here. So I, I live in Montana, right? Um, mm-hmm. there's a Montana canvas or something like that. It's the company. So like you can buy a wall tent with made with like Montana canvas. Oh yeah. Treated with like fire resistant, rot resistant, mildew, whatever, all this, all this stuff. Well, if you look into it, like they're actually, you can't buy canvas that's made in the United States. It just does not exist. It's all made in India. So, yeah, yeah, I applaud you for. I am wearing. I am actually wearing a Doug, Duckworth Montana wool shirt at the moment. Nice. Now they Duckworth. Make, Duckworth, they make Duckworth. Yeah, they, it's all Montana grown wool, all made in the U.S., and they do excellent quality work. I'm not related. I'm just a customer, and I'm a I'm a fan. I've not heard of that brand. I'm. A, I just wrote that down. Yeah. yeah. I like that. All right. Maybe they'll be my next my next interview. Do it. Do it. I'd play it if you can. I would love to meet them. I, you know, I've never picked up the phone and called or anything. I, I wear one of their shirts 365 days a year. Nice. That, that's a shot of enforcement. Yeah. At home in Texas, 110 degrees. I'm wearing a wool shirt. All right. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. it was like 104 when I got in my car today. So, Oof. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try anything because uh, doesn't doesn't matter what I've been wearing lately, like synthetic garbage. You know, it, once you once you get used to doing what we, you know, wool is not new. We've been wearing it for centuries, and the Bedouins in the desert wear wool, and it just it works. Natural natural fibers do beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I do wear a synthetic, you know, outer shell because stuff and things but yeah you just get you figure out what you want how you want to dress and you know what what you're trying to do it works yeah i saw this picture a while back of like these explorers in like antarctica where they basically aren't wearing a whole lot and then they have like modern explorers in antarctica and they're like just dressed like head to toe you can can't even right the big down coat the nose exactly and like what happens well yeah i mean and if you look at some of the the really nice natural fibers kibia the muskox fiber amazing stuff it's it's the only thing warmer than bison fiber you can wear a very thin layer of kibia and you're warm in extremely cold temperatures but mm. you know your average person can't go out and buy a kibia shirt 
Right. So, yeah. Right. So getting into a couple, a uh, couple of other things here. So for your, your personal, let's say your, your house livestock that, that you, you keep for like personal production. Um, also, by the way, if we're, if we, if you got to go, just let me know and we'll, no, we're, we're good. She's, she's, she's out and we're, we're, um, this is great. All right. All right. Sounds good. Um, so what are, what are some things that you've tried? Well, like, um, Hey, you know, this breeded chicken that, you know, my chicken guru. Well, like, yeah, this, right. well, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a really good one. We tried, you know, when we first started doing the chickens, most people who get into meat chickens start with the Cornish cross. They're very, you know, overbred hybridized birds that just want to do nothing but sit there and, and eat and gain weight. Um, I did that a few rounds and then I just realized, you know, it's really, that's really not much better than grocery store meat. I mean, if I'm sitting here feeding them, you know, even if I'm buying decent commercial feed, I would rather have something that's free ranging or eating stuff that we're growing. And so we've just in the last year switched to a, a French breed of chicken called grass. I've heard and of these. Yeah, we we had somebody local breeding them. Um, went and got you know, went and got a dozen birds, and we're breeding back now. And and the meat is stellar. I mean, the the course crosses weren't bad, but this is it's good. It's really good, and that's that's been one of the major improvements. Um, my background was as a chef, and I, you know, everybody likes good ingredients, and as long as you have good stuff, it's really hard to screw it up. But these they free range. They're fairly hardy in terms of being able to take care of themselves. They're not quite as stupid as the Cornish crosses. One of the things that when we first first did that is everyone, our group little told us, you will hate these birds by the time you get up to that, you know, by the time they're ready to process, you'll want to just finish them off and put them in the freezer. The breasts aren't quite, quite like that. They've got a little bit more personality. They're a little closer to like our layers and they're a pretty bird. They're good at what they do, and they they're great at insect control. Um, so that that has been a what I would consider a win for us. Um, overall, you know, the, the cattle are super easy. I made a mistake when we bought our first cows. I sitting there looking around the the guy's yard, and he's got this lone, somewhat miniature longhorn. And I went to University of Texas, no horns. I thought, well, you know, I've got land. I can have a, I could have a longhorn and it'll make my place look cool. So we bought a longhorn cat. They're this, this heifer. Well, we were up here two years ago and everybody busted the fences and all my cows went and met the neighbors where she ended up getting bread. So now we have a <laughs> couple, well, you now steer, little longhorn steer running around. And that's been a, an adventure, but we've been, been breeding our own beef and I'm kind of happy with that. Um, nice. Some of the, you know, the, and the pigs are sort of a win. The goats were a failure. And my other big failure that I really would like to, to revisit. We, when we first got there, I put out three colonies of bees, put, put three beehives out and cows kicked over a hive. And then they went, went start, moved in with my neighbor. So they moved down a couple of houses. So I've lost lost the bees and I feel like a failure for that. So that was a something I would I would really think I'm ready to go back and try again. 
Do you have a B guy that that guides you? Um, no, but I know. Well, I know where one is now. My chicken guy has a B guy, so <laughs> yeah, I, I figure we got to have a B guy. You got to have a B guy. Got to have a B guy. But, so is yeah, that we something have, we have a local one? Thinking next spring. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've got him. I've already told Nick I I'm ready to start again. Got my hives all cleaned up and ready to go. So, I, you know, I, again, not going into this with a plan and not going into the saying we are going to produce all everything that we consume. Um, we didn't. You know, there was there was no agenda. There was no all right. Step one, step two, step three. It's yeah. you know, bing bang boom, pinball kind of style. But we're learning. Um, and it's been it's been great for us just in terms of skill sets. I, I like we all like learning and, and things like that. And doing this has led into more things that I didn't think it would. Like plumbing skills are on point, you know, your electrical skills, you become you become a mechanic, you become a carpenter. All of the things that have to be done, you know, we don't have any cans around the place. Like I have my granddaughter and my sister in law that work for me, so you know, if there's if there's work to be done, it's we got to do it, right? Can't hire somebody for everything. Do you think that's one of the biggest challenges? Is that you have to take on so much by yourself because you can't just hire it out all the time, right? And and we try is that you you can't. Um, it's a challenge. I, I think it's probably the most rewarding part because. If you have that problem and you're the one who's required to come up with a solution and then you implement the solution, I mean, the gratification that comes from achieving anything is wonderful. And when you can look back, step back and look and say, yep, I did that. You know, I fixed that. I built that. That's pretty awesome. And and that's, that's just what makes you motivated to go on to the next challenge. That's why you want to keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, we, we've got some guests at the house right now. And, you know, my, one of them has been here before and the other one hasn't. And my wife's like, oh yeah, you know, Matt built this and that and this and that. And I kind of like, just, it's just something that I did. I don't really like look back on it too much, but, uh, they're just like, wow, this is great. Like, look at all the stuff you did. I don't know. I just wanted to build, I needed a thing there. And so I built it and then I needed a thing over there. So I built that one and like. Right. Isn't that awesome? I just needed it. to get fixed, so I fixed it. Yeah, because that part is pretty cool. Yeah. It also depends on, like, how much time do you have, and does it just need to work, or does it also need to look good, too, because that means <laughs> everything. Well, the, the wife makes sure, you know, she does not want the place to look, you know, she wants all to be clean. Yeah. Right. So I, I am required to keep, you know, tools and, and stuff from all over the place. And I do apologize, but she's she's back, which means we probably need to be heading out. That's fine. Absolutely. Uh, so real quick, what do you want to tell people that want to get started in homesteading or uh, buffalo bison? Bye. Just do it. Ju- jump in. Make your mistakes. Make all the mistakes. And then do it right. And keep doing it right. But make all the mistakes. That's how you learn. Get yourself a chicken guy, a bee guy, and a buffalo guy. Get yourself a chicken guy. Best thing you've ever got. So 
All right, Ron, uh, where can people uh, find you, like your website and your social media? Okay, well, we are the Buffalo Wolco, and it is thebuffalowolco.com. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, and all of the other things. So Instagram. Awesome. I'll have, the link for, I'll have a link for all that in the notes. So, All right. Well, thank you very much. I truly appreciate this. Awesome. This Thanks, fun. Ron. This was a lot of fun. We'll talk again. All right. Thank you. All right. Take, take care. I am Matt DeRosier of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit farmhoplife.com. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a house and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. Welcome to your farm to help and to truck and an RV send us a message and there